1: The Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show, with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Great job by the baseball team going 3-1 and one over the past weekend, getting some revenge on Rutgers, and uh, splitting the two-game series with Big Ten leading Indiana. That's the kind of response I wanted to see from a young team. Showing some of that coach Bolt toughness, I think we're watching the team grow before our eyes, fellas,
2: and a budding rivalry with the Scarlet Knights, right, Honky? Absolutely. Uh, also, a boomer.
3: Well, I'd just like to advise our RedCast listeners: stay tuned for today's podcast. We'll be announcing our uh, podcast performance, strength, and index numbers, and wait to hear about Honky's vertical jump. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say there's a
1: two somewhere in it. I'm not going to say put where. two
2: media guides on top of each other. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> also with Mac what's going on Redcasters uh, not to bring everybody down but we did get some bad news out of the Mac household tonight we lost our dear friend Rex he was a super good beta fish and uh, <laughs> it's highly possible that when I cleaned the tank tonight and he was living and then I put him <laughs> back in it and then he didn't live much longer it could have been my fault I'm really sorry Sullivan and we will get you in did day. you use bleach again they s- it called for bleach <laughs> <laughs> I don't put the fish in the bleach. Now you sell me.
2: <laughs> My wife got a birthday card one time where it's like two fish, like one's in a fish bowl, the other's in a vodka bottle. And one in the vodka bottle was like, this is great. <laughs> you should try that next time, Mac. <laughs> might pep them up. All right, guys. Well, uh, we have uh, are coming out of spring ball here. We're going to talk defensive football tonight. Uh, but before we get there, let's just uh, – maybe walk through you know, a little transfer portal conversation, maybe uh, talk about what the guys are going to be doing here over the next uh, couple of weeks and months before they're, they're back for
1: uh, fall ball. Yeah, absolutely. This last weekend was graduation, commencement for mm-hmm. the university. So the semester's done. We are now officially into the summer. And congratulations to all of the Huskers, the mm-hmm. ones on and off the field that uh, got their degrees. But uh, the next steps now for Nebraska after spring ball they have this week off and then the players will start to come back for summer conditioning next week for four weeks of work. And then they'll have a week off and then they'll have four more weeks of summer work after that. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of opportunities. I'm excited to see some of these freshman guys that, Mm -hmm. you know, start to get to campus. That usually happens towards late May, early June. And, uh, you know, I think we'll talk about some of the transfer portal stuff in a little bit. Think about the wide receiver room, how that changes with Grimes and, you know, Neville coming in here and and Mm -hmm. Hardy, uh, those guys will start to be here probably in about a month, but that kind of you know gives you a little bit of a blueprint of what the next you know few weeks looks like in uh, in Nebraska football.
2: Excellent. Uh, all right. Well, um, let's talk about that transfer portal, Honk. We did lose uh, two wide receivers, both out of the 2019 class, if I'm not mistaken. That's uh, 0 for four now out of that class. We lost um, Jamie Nance and Demarius Houston. Mac, uh, what do you think about the loss of these two guys?
0: Well, you know, I always hate to see guys leave the program, but I also understand why these two particular guys did choose to go someplace else. You know, that, that wide receiver room has changed a lot. And particularly over this last year and a half, you know, that the height and size have gotten tremendously bigger, um, possibly faster. And, you know, it's possible that those two guys were recruited over and that's a good sign for the program. But uh, at the same time, you know, as many guys as you can have on the team, I'm, I'm all about it. You know, Nance had that knee injury last year, and he kind of battled back from that, and I thought he he provided some. He was kind of a spark plug in the spring game. Um, but it, at the end of the day, they might just be, <laughs> dare I say, too small for this team, and that would be fantastic. At the end of the day, they had their opportunity. That, that's one
1: thing I, w- I would never argue that they didn't have an opportunity here. And when it's all said and done, if you're not in the top seven or eight position, and they weren't, It's hard for me to argue that we don't have depth right now, because we clearly have seven or eight guys that were in front of them. And I would say that this is not a shock. So I know right now, anybody that's been on social media, there's been plenty of talk about how we've lost all nine recruits from the 2018-19 classes. I get that. Dave, we've talked about the 18 class. That was literally... Frost putting something together in the first yep, couple sure. of weeks. I mean, let that go for cripes sakes. Mm-hmm. And I get the 19 class, you know, we're putting together with Wandell and some of those smaller dudes. Mm-hmm. They've changed the profile of the receiver. They're going after
0: they're yeah, going they after
1: bigger dudes right now. Uh, going into this off season, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. There are two position groups that I would expect to see this in wide receiver was one of them. Mm-hmm. And if there's any changes in the running back spot, we haven't seen anything yet, but if there were, I well, wouldn't shock me. Didn't Ramir Johnson say he was? No, we haven't. Heard, I haven't heard anything. Did I have a dream? No,
0: I haven't heard, there haven't heard, heard a dream at all, Mac. Oh at my all, gosh. Man. I legitimately no. thought that must've been a dream. I hope I'm not a prophet. Oh my well, God. No, yeah, and I it. hope not too. Ramir was
2: out this spring. So it's yeah. really hard to, to read that situation. It now, is. Yeah.
1: And, and that's the thing. Is but like, with, I'm, I'm not, I'm not hoping or wishing for anybody to leave it's not about that it's just about I want guys to compete mm-hmm. and if you're competing and you get that opportunity to compete and if you're seventh or eighth on the the depth chart at your respective position you choose to leave then then you choose to leave we have a former black shirt right now Jay Foreman that's working with the team and he talked about when he came here in 94 back when it wasn't uncommon to be a freshman and being seventh on the depth chart and that's what he was hmm he could have left, right? But he stuck around. And, and guess what? It, he ascended incredibly fast. He was a starting linebacker his redshirt freshman season, which was crazy to, to go from seventh to, to first string. But the point is that was possible to be done back in the, the 90s of the great glory years. It sure as heck could be possible to be done now, but it won't be possible if you leave, right? But if someone leaves, they leave. Yeah. And what I would say at that, at that specifically at the wide receiver position, I've seen people talk about, well, how can you build depth if you lose nine guys in two seasons or two recruiting classes? Well, what you do, you build depth by who's our starters right now. It's going to be uh, Martin. It's going to be Manning. It's going to be Tory. We're talking transfers about-
2: transfers in a Juco.
1: Yep. That's one way that you build depth right away at the starting spot. So these are guys that are two, three, four years out of school. Yeah. You know, a guy like Martin's played at Iowa and Michigan. You build depth by backing those guys up with some walk-ons i have been here now for a little while. Falcon and, and uh, Lever, you – back them up with some uh, high school guys that have been here for a little while now. Nixon, a football coach's son, yeah. and Xavier Betts, the best player out of the state of Nebraska. You back them up by three incoming freshmen coming in here, Hardy and, and Grimes and Novell that are all 6'3". Shocking, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. There's a different kind of profile there. And then you still have Elante Brown, who yeah. hopefully comes back from that injury. Uh, Barron Miles Jr. was a guy that I mentioned after that one open practice, and I'll say it again, I think that guy could be – there's a walk-on that could be uh, you know, a player here in the next year or two. It's not that the two guys I wish them very well that left, and I don't have any issue with them leaving. If nope. that's the best move to make, then it is. But I'm there's no panic button because some guys left at a but, position that was perfectly predictable that people were going to leave.
0: Yeah, then you never heard their names in the entire spring ball, those two guys' names never came up. And it was a little predictive at that point. like, you know, cause I thought about Nance, I heard his rehab and an injury, I, you know, and they were both pretty decent recruits, but maybe at this point, they no longer fit the profile of what we want for, for wide receivers. And like you said, I wish him well too. Um, I'm not surprised they left. And I don't really think it'll hurt us. In fact, I know it won't hurt us.
2: So two things here. I want to talk about a little bit. One is the difference between the wide receiver room and the running back room. I think, Honky, you laid out a pretty good case of, of why uh, Nance and Houston decided to, to move on in the sense that there is a pretty strong pecking order there. A lot of depth potentially in the wide receiver room, completely turned over. Um, Mac, you question, you know, will there be a running back transferring out? I, I think that's a really interesting question. I, I feel my gut tells me maybe not right away because I think a lot of these guys still feel like they've got a shot. I don't think uh, Savion Morrison... Or Scott or um, Tompkins thinks that they don't have a shot to play next year. Now, if they get to three or four games into next season and they're not getting any carries, I could see one or two of them moving on at that point. Mm-hmm. When maybe a, a clear pecking order has occurred, but I
0: don't. I don't think that's there yet in this running back room. Thoughts on that? But well, the the further we get away from the spring game, and we haven't heard about any transfers. I mean, the less likely. I think you're right, Dave. That they'll they'll go into the fall camp at least and be on the team. And, and you're right. Has there been an established guy? No. But then you see, you know, this last week they retired Savion Morrison's uh, jersey back in yeah, the high school because, yeah. you know, he, he broke Spencer Tillman's uh, all time high school rushing record and down in Oklahoma. And he his coach came out and said, you know, Savion was telling him he's going to be the starter. And, you know, those are just words and, and and it could have been a little bit of bluster, but that's the mentality I want this running back crew to come out with somebody needs to be the guy if for no other reason than it just provides a hierarchy right You somebody you have to desire to be the guy and then you yeah. have to go out and, and separate yourself from those other players it's just a humongous question mark right now. Yeah.
1: The only clarity we have right now is that there's clearly no one that is yeah. that guy yet. Doesn't mean that we don't have that guy on the roster. But 100% doesn't mean we don't have it. Yeah. You know, I agree with you. It just that. means that they haven't identified themselves yet. And I've made the point several times to say, I just can't picture seven scholarship running backs on the team come fall. And I'm adding Yant as number seven. But Dave, I think what you're saying is perfectly accurate too. Now, you know, look, this thing drops tomorrow. The show drops, and there could be an announcement tomorrow of someone entering sure. the, the transfer portal. We have no idea. But to your point, you could be absolutely right that nobody transfers between now and fall, at least the start of fall, because everybody in that room believes that they have a shot still, and that is fair because coming out of spring, nobody took the range, Right? Mm-hmm. We have some guys that we think maybe are closer. We we talked about Scott, and we talked about certainly Urban, mm-hmm. what they did. But you know, Step barely even had a chance to play with the injury, so there is still the reason to go into fall if you're any one of those seven running backs thinking that you have a chance, but then eventually reality is going to hit for somebody. Somebody Somebody's going to find themselves at number seven and number six on that list. And do they stick around? That's just the reality of the world of the, the transfer portal. Now, again, I mentioned Jay Foreman was a guy that was number seven, you know, funny, you know, that, that number, number seven on the list. And he stuck around and I think he did okay here. And I think he ended up having a pro career, right? Could a running back do the same thing? Sure. Absolutely. You just don't see it as much anymore. That's where I'm like, it's hard to see seven guys sticking around here at that spot. Sure. I like the talent. I like the body types. You know, I think about that last game that we played against Wreckers, mm-hmm. and there's Wandell getting the ball and getting beat up at the mm-hmm. goal line. When we had Mills, Yeah, when we had him running for 100-plus yards, I get the people that question Frost. I get the people that question the offense and, uh-huh. and how were we using Wandell? I get that because we had a guy like Mills that was healthy but I, all I can say is right now going into next season between step and between the ant if we're getting into goal line situations and anybody other than those guys are getting the ball if we need that one yard if we need big body dudes there's no lack of them
0: yeah and how so, how irritating it would be if like they put Nixon in you know <laughs> like oh hey you know I have these running backs let's go ahead and put Nixon in
1: well you know Dave Frost was on the radio this last week And that was one of the things he talked about. He goes, we have better athletes, I think, at almost every position. I don't think we have a bunch of holes on the rosters like we've had in the past. And so you can make arguments, whether you're on the pro or con side of of Frost, or you you don't like what he's done, whatever. You can make the arguments whether that's an accurate statement or not. But right now, I would say going into year four, I'm as Confident as he is, that I think we have as much depth across the board. Like we have body types and we have players. If we want big receivers out there, if we want big tight ends, if we want big running backs, small running backs, whatever, we have a combination of guys now. What I keep doing as I go into year four is I keep trying to eliminate excuses. Mm -hmm. Okay. If we would have brought in a new coach, then a player has to learn that coach's system. None of that's happening, right? We have total continuity of coaches. The strength and conditioning look at what these guys look like. They physically look like a big 10 team in year four. I just keep going through all these check boxes and I'm like, nothing's missing. So, Dave, I mean, I'm looking at that going, there's not the excuses I and, and there shouldn't be. It's sure, year four,
2: sure. No, absolutely. I, I that's actually was my second point I was going to try to get to. So, that's a great, great little segue there, hung. Uh, it's like we've been doing this for four years now. <laughs> um, is that. The, the depth that we now – have and the size that you have in the wide receiver room that we're excited about, um, and we only started to see that emerge last year, and now it's in full bloom this offseason. And we saw two guys transfer out that didn't fit that mold. If you're wondering why we have had three losing seasons and have struggled to get over the hump sometimes from a offensive production standpoint, it's like, well, it, it seemed it's taken this long for this coaching staff to figure out who they want – in the wide receiver room? Why did it take three and a half years to figure out that you want six, three big body wide receivers um, opposed to 5'10, 10, five, 11, uh, supposedly speedy guys. Um, right. And Mac, I mean, it's like, maybe it was just that UCF to big 10 conversion rate. just wasn't exactly what they thought. Um, but you could say this coaching staff has been hindered by some of the recruiting misses um, in those first couple of years. And now they seem to have fixed, but, it has held them back
0: for sure. I mean, I don't think there's any way you could look at the current recruiting trends at the wide receiver position and not think they've had a philosophy change. Oh my God. You know, and, like, yeah. and, and you know, so funny because when Nance transferred and, and Houston transfers the boards, you know, like Huskers online, and everything they'll go back to uh, every time, every time I recruit commits, you know, rivals will do this. What does it mean? Kind of segment, and they'll talk about what this recruit is and how his abilities and how this could help Nebraska. And lots of times, when guys are trying to make a point about how sucky we are, they'll mm-hmm. they'll bring up an old thread and post it to the top just to just to prove a point. And back then, when we were getting these guys, we were so so. Excited about Frost and so excited about that UCF speed that you got Houston. Like, oh, this guy's just a burner. I'm like, how are we going to be able to contain all the speed? Nancy's this, oh my gosh, he's like a he's like 10 3 guy in the 100. I'm like, how is the Big Ten going to be able to keep up with us? So, we all bought it. So, like, let's not act like we all said, you know what, we really needed are these big body guys. We all <laughs> bought it, you know, like, and I think we're all learning that now that's not going to work here. This is not the American. This is not the Pac 12. You need big body guys, especially if you're willing and stubborn enough to throw that bubble screen all game long if you don't have perimeter blockers on there and they're of a stout body good luck it hasn't been good so far
2: mac that's exactly where i wanted to go with that is like maybe talk to our viewers a little bit just from a body type type standpoint why it's valuable in a physical league like the big 10 to have bigger wide receivers um, from a blocking perspective, as well as also route running and getting maybe some, um, some distance from, from your defender, right. Where the smaller guys just maybe aren't, aren't
0: able to do that.
1: Well, two words, Matt catch radius. Yeah.
0: Distance and just the ability to go up and get 50, 50 balls. The corners in the big 10 are big dudes. When you look at, when you look at like Ohio state, those are stout men playing cornerback, you know, well, just look at our own team. Actually. Cam Taylor Britt. What how's Jamie Nance going to block Cam Taylor Britt? He's not. He's going to get blown up, and the play is going to get blown up. But you put a guy like Omar Manning out there, who's, you know, 220, 6'5 himself, 6'4. You know, he's got a chance to at least stick a body on that guy to let a bubble screen or at least get downfield blocking long enough to make a big run. And it was painfully, man. I rewatched the 2019 spring game. Just because I was just—I don't know—wanted to torture myself, and but just like to see the size of our wide receivers back then, and how many times they got blown up blocking on the perimeter, you start to see them like, oh yeah, this is why we're doing it. This this mm-hmm. makes a ton of sense. A lot of blocking though too isn't about size. It's not about being
1: big or small. It's about want to. I mean, any mm-hmm. any Husker fan of our era and you go back to the itty-bitty committees of the 90s, and, I mean, you're talking about dudes that are 5'9", the Reggie Balls and Brendan Holbines and all those dudes, and they – if it was about blocking, I would take every one of them today. I don't care if you're in the Big Ten or the Big Eight or whatever. But that's not the point right now either. What's happened is I think, you know – Frost said when he got here, he goes, you know, we hope the Big Ten adjusts to us. And I think the Big Ten has. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm not saying that's snarky. Okay. I mean I think the Big Ten has had to make adjustments to what Frost wanted to do, and they've been successful in doing that. I think Frost conversely has had to make adjustments to the Big Ten. And that is about getting some bigger body guys in here for the catch radius yeah. piece of it. It doesn't hurt with the blocking. I mean, I don't think size hurts you if you if you have the want to and you're 220 versus the want to and you're 190. I'll take the two twenty guy. Right. I will. Um, the other thing is, and Mac, I go back to our February interview. The first time we talked to Sipple a year ago and he talked about the, he had met with frost in November of 19. Okay. So this is the end of the disappointing season, the year of hype that wasn't Ooh. going well. Which one was that? <laughs> <laughs> well, 19 <laughs> was the year that we okay. thought was going to go. Oh, well, yeah. Right. And so, But he met in, you know, Frost's office and Frost was showing him some film and stuff. And he was talking specifically about the wide receiving core. And he was showing some video and he was like, you know, look at how they're not hitting certain marks Mm -hmm. and doing this. And he just, he wasn't glowing about the wide receiving core in 2019. And you look at, you know, who was coaching him then? It was Walters. And who's the OC? It's Walters, Mm -hmm. right? And what changes were made? Sippel talked about how at the beginning of that 2019 season, he had coaches and people calling him at the beginning of the year going, why are these wide receivers so small? And that's the year of Wandell being a true freshman. That's still J.D. Spielman. It was noticeable. So the point is they've made those changes. So it all comes back to right now. I'm not making excuses. Mm -hmm. I'm not. In fact, what I'm saying is I'm taking away excuses. For any realist out there that's like, stop giving these guys, you know, a free break for, for bad football in the past. I'm not. I, what I'm saying is this season, they have all the things in place to be good right now. The Bill Moose, eight, nine wins and all that kind of all that kind of stuff. I have those same expectations because I don't have built-in excuses right now. If we needed big-bodied receivers, we have them. If we needed some depth on the O-lines and D-lines, we're going to talk about defense coming up, we have it. If we need an experienced quarterback, we have it. If we need continuity within the coaching staff, nobody was gone. When people wanted coaches gone at the end of the season, there are people that said, this assistant or that Mm -hmm. assistant needs to be gone. None of that happened. So everything's in place. I think this is the one thing, honestly, can bring the optimist and the realist together. Instead of us arguing with each other, the optimist and realist can come together right now and go, this is a really important season. Oh, God. It's okay to have high expectations because I think we've got the team to do it. I really do. I, I feel that way better now than I have at any other point. And I think that we have that depth. I think we have the body types. I think we have everything that we need. This
0: team was built in the image and likeness of Frost. He right. wanted
1: bigger, faster, stronger guys. He's got it.
0: Well, he does now. And, and that would be the thing. If it, What would be frustrating is if in year four, we we're still recruiting oh. the six-foot, 5'10", speedy guys. We haven't done that now. Like you mentioned in the, the class coming in, were they all over 6-3 or at least 6-3? Well, and it's not even just the
1: recruiting. It's if we get done with this season, we go six and six, but we're struggling still at special teams. We still have snaps going over quarterback set. If we have that kind of stuff going on, bad football, that's an issue, but we shouldn't have any bad football, right? Every position group should be coached by a guy that's already been coaching them for at least a year, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone knows the expectations of their coach. So, This is a positive discussion right now. This fits with the red cast mission of being positive. We're not, we're not being negative. We're saying there is no excuses. There's no built in excuses anymore. And if we get done with this season and we, we limp to a six and six or don't make the bowl game, there's legit issues.
2: Boomer um, hockey brought up special teams there. So what would count for you as a successful season from the special teams perspective? Like, uh, certain ranking, uh, maybe certain accomplishments like actually getting a punt return or kick return. Well, yeah, it's we've kind of touched on it, I think, in a few
3: previous shows. We just need to be average. I mean, we've been below average in so many aspects of special teams for years, whether it's because of, you know, freak injuries or just not finding the kicker or the kicker's not panning out even when they're under scholarship. Just be average. You know, that's all you have to be, and you're going to see improvement in the game. You know, we. Feel pretty confident. I think field goal kicking should be, you know, pretty solid this year. Connor Culp seems to be fairly accurate, at least as as far as that goes. So that's not a worry. And Dave, you hit on it. We just need to have some kind of a return game. Um, you want to see that, just so we can get any kind of positivity on returns. I mean, that just helps. Every extra yard you get there, it can is, get much worse. Yeah, every yard you get there is one less you have to try to get on the offensive side of the ball. You're that much closer to scoring. I mean, that makes a huge difference. And then. I want to see them be just more prepared in general uh, where you're not giving up those big kick returns at flip momentums in games, like a kickoff that right after we scored, you give up a kickoff return to another team that takes that touchdown right back or just being caught mm-hmm. completely flat footed on, you know, fake punts. I mean, how many times has that happened to us? Uh, you know, we've had flashes where it looks like we paid attention to a uh, specialty What was that game, Northern Illinois, where we blocked, you know, I think it was a two punts or so in that game and, it's like we never bothered to look at it again you know illinois last year we were completely unprepared you know you could even watch that film and you could see illinois kind of tested it early in the game our entire team fell back and they knew that was set up for the next time they wanted to run it that guy was you know running at a glacial pace i mean they were <laughs> geologists who were thinking this was taking too long you know they were using their <laughs> to, to measure that you know eliminate those things you know you know, you're not always going to punt the best. Wind, you know, conditions might make it challenging. But if you're not giving up the huge easy touchdowns, the easy scores, you're not getting the ball on our side of the field or close to the fifty a lot of times to the opponent. You know, you can flip fields. Those things are going to be noticeable, even if they're not, you know, flashy type things. So eliminate those huge breakdowns and just be average, and I think so, it's going to pay dividends. I'm, so you know, you said not be snarky, but I think you know that's just all I want. I mean, boomer, you're not be
1: fine. You're not being snarky there, and average is an improvement, a large improvement actually, over <laughs> what we have been. That's why I was snarky, so honk. You're not being snarky. And at the same time that you're not being snarky, and at the same time that everything you said is accurate, I also I hate it. And I hate it as a, a fan, I hate it as a former coach. I hate, I hate the idea. And, and by the way, here, let me make a comparison to something else. The same argument could have been said 12 months ago about defense. We just need to be average on defense. Just be good enough to get the ball back to the offense. Remember when we heard that? Yeah. That was a big deal. Just, you don't, don't Dave, don't be good on defense. Just be average on defense. Get the ball back to the offense and let the offense do its thing. If you're average in any area, you're never going to be great. There's just no other way around it. And if we want to be a great football team, we need to be great on offense. We need to be great on defense. We need to be great on special teams. And any expectation that goes aside from that is a bad expectation. It's the wrong expectation. There is no element of the team that we can't afford to not be great on at Nebraska. I, I, don't, I don't care. Uh, when Bill Callahan was fired and Tom Osborne was doing the press conference afterwards and they asked him about, um, oh, if you would have fired uh, – Cosgrove Mm -hmm. you know would you have kept him around he goes no the head coach is responsible for the offense the defense and the special teams you know that's what you're the head coach for that was Tom Osborne as the AD that he was basically giving a dissertation on what it means to be a head coach of a great football program and when I look at Nick Saban right now and the expectations he has for his special teams for his defense for his offense it's there's no place where he he lets up and says this one area can be average and so, again, Boomer, I go back to what you said there. What, everything you said, nothing was wrong. Mm-hmm. Everything you said is accurate, factual, and correct. Average would be a huge step up from where we have been, but that's our problem. If we were average in
0: all three aspects, what, what, if we, what would our
3: record be? Well, <laughs> although, really, I, I have not seen Alabama <laughs> field goal kicking. you know, They might settle for average
1: there. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm yeah. like, if average meant 7-8 wins, I'll take average this year. You're not wrong, Mac. The Husker fans – They've been handed this to them that says if you can go seven wins, you take it. Mm-hmm. And I get that. What if we were great at all three with the with the roster we have right now? How about that? Let's talk talent oh, for okay. a second. Let's go with, with that the one. roster we have right now, mm-hmm. and the and the depth and the experience and the size and the strength and all the performance index stuff that we hear about. If we were great at special teams, and we were great at with- defense, and we're great at offense, what's the expectation? Are we go- Are we winning seven or eight? Can we be better than that? If
0: we were great with the current talent and our schedule that is laid out before us, I would say if we were great, 10 wins. If we were yeah. great. And, and What's interesting is that's
1: 10 wins while you're playing Michigan, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. You're playing Iowa and Wisconsin, who beat you six-plus times each. I'm saying two
0: losses if we're great. This is where the
1: BetCast guys, Boomer and Dave, get into it. I mean, we can talk about how tough the schedule is, but if we just are as good as we can be, how good can this team be next year? You just said 10 wins, Mac. I'm not even I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with you. Ten wins if this talent plays great. Yeah, well, I, I think that makes some sense, Lock. I'm mean, just
2: just thinking from a recruiting ranking standpoint, you're saying that, you know, even if we play great, Ohio State and Oklahoma are still more talented than us. Right. So you could say like we're just mm-hmm. and and then I mean if you want to be on the naysayer side, you could say just from a program being established that even if we are more talented than on the books than Iowa and Wisconsin, they've been doing what they do for much longer and have more experience um, than our young offensive line, for example. Um, So you could at least make the argument that we lose one or two of those games. Right. But I mean, if we are great, and I don't know how you define great, is that a ranking of top, top 15 or top 20 in all three of those categories. I, mean, I think if you did that, I, I think you're going to go 10 and two or at worst nine and three, because I mean, that means you are scoring lots of points, playing great defense and not making mistakes on special teams. You win
0: games with that. There's no question. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to imagine a nine win season next year that I would be disappointed in.
1: It, it's hard for me to imagine us being great in all three of those. That's the <laughs> yeah. problem.
3: No, that's, that's the truth. Yeah, that's that's yeah. The, the problem. Right big jump. Yeah.
1: That's, right? the, that's what takes me back to, I said, I hate what Boomer said about us being average, but I didn't say I disagreed with it. Yeah. I just said I hated it. Well, it's hard I to do. I hate hearing that we just need to be average because I, do, I never want to hear that. But we do need to at least be average. And the problem that we've had at different times over the course of Frost era and the eras that preceded Frost is that we haven't even been average at times in some of those key areas. Good Lord, Virginia Tech and Kansas State under Beamer or Snyder. There are a number of years where they, from a a talent standpoint, were average at best. And yet they were great in special teams. They were great in some of those specific areas, turnovers and whatever. And guess what? They would turn out 10 and 9 win teams and beat teams that were much more talented than them in some cases. And they do it because they did all these things right. And here we are. We look at our recruiting classes at times and we go, my God, we are out recruiting Northwestern every stinking year. We, you know, what's our record against Northwestern? We eight no against those losers. Mm-hmm. No, no crap. Those guys are beating us a bunch of times. Why? Because they do these things really well that we screw up.
0: Let me, let me ask you guys a couple of questions <clears throat> of the three phases of the, of a football game, special teams, offense, defense last year, where we average on any of them in your opinions,
2: like, Over the course of the eight-game season, I think you could say the defense was average. I would say that. Yeah, and I Steve, think that's where you'd say op- the potential for them to be up above average sits on that side of the ball. We're going to talk about defense here in just a, a yeah. second. But the other two phases were probably below average. Um, right. And and the,
0: the, could have the biggest jump, though, right? They have the biggest room for improvement. So, so my follow-up question would be, then – this year, and we we talked about great already, and and we that would be fantastic. I would think great, but but well, let's just say average in all three phases. Let's just say average. As good as an average team would be with the with the talent that we would have, what do you think that would equate to in wins? Twelve and zero. <laughs> well, you know <laughs> exactly. I,
2: I think the, the Mac the odds came out. I think it was today on like you know odds to win the Big Ten championship, right? And I think we were had the eighth best odds. Um, And if you look at the the (laughs) teams that were above us that we play, it included Ohio State and Michigan and, of course, Wisconsin and Iowa. And I think uh, Northwestern was just above us. Um, So if you're simply saying, like, you know, those teams supposedly are better than us, I mean, you could say that we're not going to win those games. And then we have the, the Big Ten teams that are below us, plus you add in, presumably a two and one non-conference beating Buffalo and Fordham and and losing to Oklahoma. And you're probably seven and five,
1: right? Yeah. You know, and the thing that the issue that I have too, with even looking at last year, it's hard to look at it as a season and say, were we average or or whatever, because it ends up being an eight game thing where you kind of, at the end of the year, you throw it all together and it and it, some things average out or some things are, but it was built up with a bunch of individual games where we were really good and really bad at the same things at times. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a stretch there, especially for Martinez at the, towards the end of the season. I think it was like three of his last four games. Like we didn't throw interceptions. We were really good with the turnovers. And then we hit Rutgers and he has two picks and two fumbles. There were games, I think, of you know, certainly ironically win that game. And ironically. Yeah. And then there are games, you know, where, uh, you know, we had, Illinois ran the ball over us. Right. But then you go and you play Iowa and we had an incredible run defense against them. I think held them like 126 yards on like 45 carries or something, Mm -hmm. something like that, like three yards a carry. So it wasn't that we were it it all averaged out to average, but there were times we were really good and there were times we were really bad at the exact same thing. And that's, The issue, Dave, were we a good running offense last year? Were we average? Were we above average? You know, where were we at running offense? Well, we finished second in the big 10. So that's great, right? Or that's just below great. That was good, right? Or except that it all
2: came from the quarterback position.
1: Yeah. Or a running back position, right? Or a wide receiver receiver (laughs) position, right? In the exact same stat, we could pull out something and say it was great, or we could say it wasn't. And rushing offense is a great example of that. We finished second in the conference in rushing offense, and I don't think any of us were happy. To be (laughs) truly honest, I don't think any of us were happy with how that ended up because we didn't like what it took to get to second. If we're going to be second in rushing offense, we want two running backs getting the bulk of those runs, and then maybe you know Martinez supplements. You know he's the third leading rusher on the team, something like that. And if Nixon or Lompe Brown or somebody wants to be number four, if if a wide receiver comes into the mix somewhere. They're cool. Maybe that's how our running offense looks, but the way our running offense looked last year, that's not the, that's certainly not the style. And I guess for those people that go, well, geesh, how are you guys expecting to be great next year? Um, how are you expecting that? I mean, you're literally saying all the things that are wrong about a year ago. Why would it be better next year? What I would say to those people is look at the roster right now. It doesn't look the same. And so there's development that has to happen. Ryan held and, and I would—I keep saying Ron Brown is a as an analyst too. I mean, I think he can play a role in this. Those seven running backs are guys that were not producing last year. They need to produce next year, right? They need to be a part of that. Uh, that wide receiving core that looks totally different, and those nine wide receivers that were recruited in eighteen and nineteen that are no longer here—it's changed. That that room is a different room than it was two years ago, and it's t- it's time for those guys to. To make some plays, I don't. There's no excuses for me. Nope.
2: Yeah. Well, guys, um, let's talk about that above-average unit. <laughs> there's the defense, right? You've been talking was... to my
0: wife, huh?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sorry. Oh.
1: Uh, was a
2: softball. <laughs> Mac is the one that took the swing.
1: <laughs>
2: it's time to throw the bones. All right, guys, we are throwing the bones and doing our defensive breakdown of the spring game. And, uh, guys, I want to go reverse order and start with the secondary, uh, mainly because uh, we read this great article on Hell Varsity uh, with uh, Derek Peterson, our good friend, um, who uh, was breaking down the secondary um, from the first four games to the second four games of the season and the kind of dramatic improvement that we saw there. He uh, had some stats here where... Uh, They had uh, 8.1 yards uh, per pass allowed in the first four games. That was good enough for 100th in the country. That doesn't Um, sound
1: good. (laughs) No, no.
2: 53.97% stop rate on third downs for 126th in the country. That's that's horrible, actually. That's also not good. No. But the last four games, different story. Obviously, some different teams there. But, I mean, I I think the numbers speak for themselves. It became 6.4 yards. Uh, per uh, pass allowed. It's b- good for 15th in the country and a 24.53 uh, stop uh, rate on third downs. That's number one in the country in those last four games. Yay! we number one. That's above average. That is above <laughs> average, <now>. my God. <laughs> so the question is, can they actually do that? Um, maybe not at, at, at number one in the country, but at a high number – for 12 games next
0: season, especially when you think about the schedule that we're playing. I really do think our defense is going to be stout this year. Mm -hmm. And it's like we talked about before, it starts in the, in the, in the defensive secondary and led off by Cam Taylor Britt. That dude is the alpha of alphas. And I really believe he's got his, his sights set on greatness this year. By all accounts, he had a fantastic spring and has been a leader in that group. And it's just shined the entire time. I'm tickled of all the guys that returned for this year. Cam Taylor is going to be the biggest difference maker, in my opinion, of all of them.
1: You know, Mac, you made a point before we even started recording. You said, finally, you thought at this point on defense, and we talked about what Frost has taken to build the depth up across the board and everything. You said, finally, we're at a point on the defensive side where we can sustain a big loss at a position and still be okay. And, yeah. and you were referencing Honus at yeah. that point. And Honus is one of those super sick seniors, right? And it is unfortunate. We talked about last week how, I mean, how awful gutted we feel for, mm. for Will Honus. That was just awful to see him get injured the way he did. We hope he can come back next year, but more importantly, we just hope he's healthy. But whether he comes back or not, we think we're in a position to be able to sustain the loss of him. Because we brought in a guy like Kularevich, Mm -hmm. because we have Reimer, because we have Tava Mauga Clements, you know, Mm -hmm. who was playing, well, I'm terrible with names, right? That was was good enough on. Thank you. Thank you. I I do my best, right? And you have Henry. Does he have a nickname? Va. Let's just use that. (laughs) You said that perfectly. Seems so much easier, right? (laughs) But the point is, is that we're at a point where we can actually have some of that depth. And part of that was because if you think about it, if you didn't have those super six coming back, you were as a coaching staff, they were already preparing for those guys not to be here. Yeah. What would happen if Dismute got injured or what would happen if uh, Williams got injured? Well, they already had to prepare for that because there was no guarantee that those guys would be around. You were preparing for those guys to be gone. And now that those guys are back, you have those guys back plus all the dudes behind him. I mean, the there is a lot of depth, and that's a lot of what Dr. Petey's uh, article in Hale Varsity was about, was that we literally have a starting secondary back, but we also have four or five guys behind them that look the part. They they do have some experience out there. I mean, there's, there's size out there. You, you've got Nadab Joseph and Braxton Clark and and Javen Wright yeah. and, and Noah Pola Gates. I mean, those are guys that are not starters. And those are guys that, uh, you know, they've been here now for a couple of years. I, Dave, I, I think that's secondary. If you just want to focus on that alone, that's a strength of the defense. And there's a lot of guys there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And to your point of being ready uh, with uh, Deontay Williams and, and others getting dinged up or um, getting kicked out because of a targeting call, we've got a lot <laughs> of experience there, right? Yeah. yeah don't want to make light of that, but, I mean, the reality is, is that a lot of these guys have uh, filled in already um, for those super seniors uh, last year or even the previous year.
1: Yeah, I mean, that Northwestern game last year, Dave, watching that at your place in Denver, and, you know, who's the guy that came out and got two interceptions in the first half?
2: Clark? No, Farmer. Farmer. Oh, yeah, sorry, I, I,
1: I forgot. But you know, I mean, there's there's a guy right there, right? That he's six foot three, six foot four
0: safety. He's not a starter. And when he wasn't wasn't Quentin Newsom starting that same game? Yeah, knew, yeah, yeah, it was the same game. Him, Deontay, and Cam Taylor Britt were out the same game, right? And it was it was Quentin Newsom and Farmer that started. And they played fine. They both played fine.
1: There's talent there. I mean, Fisher has built up a defensive back room that goes a full two deep. Sure does. And it brings size. I mean, these are. Big 10 looking guys and everything. I mean, we've got I mean just Braxton Clark, Wright, Nadab Joseph, alone farmer. We're talking four dudes there that almost none of them are starters. I don't think any of them are. And they're all six, two, six, three, or bigger. And that's aside from you know what Cam Taylor Britt and what Dismuke and what Williams and, and Quentin Newsom brings. So there's bodies out there, and then you bring Paul Gates on top
0: of that there and and uh, there's plenty of players. Well, even in the spring game, when the when the white defense was out there, all the guys we mentioned, fantastic. But then you see, like a guy like Isaac Gifford, he's coming out there, and you there was yeah. there was opportunities that Isaac Gifford had to destroy some people. And you know, obviously because of it, it was his own team, he didn't do it, but he was in position. Uh, another guy that I thought really did a good job was uh, Phelan Sanford. He had a pick. He was mm-hmm. super aggressive. I think he was on he was on uh, bets a couple times and did a great job. And that's a that's a walk on dude. I guess that was the thing I guess that stood out to me the most about the spring game. I might have mentioned this on the last show, but I felt like well into our two three deep, the guys just were playing hard and were in position, ready to make plays, ready to make tackles. That that secondary has been molded so well and curated by their position coach. That I have, I have no issue with that. Well, well into the two deep, and which is fantastic. I mean, who knows how we're going to do? I can't wait to see who's going to be our nickelback. Hey, hey, look at this photograph. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs>
2: hey Mac. I would say that it's likely that we think that Cam Taylor Britt uh, is drafted next year, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, we hopefully could sort of streak there of starting to produce uh, secondary players at. Not only get to the NFL like Lamar Jackson, but are, are getting drafted. Who would be your next name on that list after Cam Taylor-Britt that could be a, an
0: NFL draft pick? I would pick either of our two safeties. My only concern or my only hesitation in doing that is they're they're both just because of how the NFL works these days and in, in youth equals potential, and they're both older guys. I mean, they're the safety dads. You know, <laughs> they yeah. both have kids, so it's like they're they're. <laughs> advanced in their age, but Deontay Williams has got all the physical capability to do it. And, and, and by all accounts, they're, they handle their position like pros already. They come in and they, they do work and they keep the other guys accountable. You know, we we won't even know their full impact as teammates until, you know, next year, but I, those guys are invaluable. I I, I would say either Dismuke or Williams could, Easily be drafted. I wouldn't that wouldn't shock I me. Mean, maybe later rounds, but they they have the athleticism for sure.
1: And I think if you're talking about the younger guys, too, I mean Braxton Clark is a guy that has the frame mm-hmm. to be that cornerback that the pros would love. I mean, who doesn't want a six foot three, you know, corner out there? He needs to put it on tape, right? He needs to be healthy, and that's he had a you know, horrendous injury there last he year did. that kept him off. So um, you know, he has a lot to
0: prove here. He and, flashed in the spring game too, though. Yeah, he made a I mean, great he's play.
1: healthy now and I think that nickelback-slash-outside linebacker role, which starts with Jojo Doman, but then is backed up by Gifford, backed up by Javen Wright, I mean, that role is an interesting one because oh, yeah. those are guys that are kind of the tweeners, the hybrids. They can play outside linebacker. They can play some defensive back. Super glad that we have Doman back. Oh, yeah. And one of those Huge. super sick seniors, right? But let's just say he didn't come back. Uh, one of those guys, he could have left. And if he would have left, we would have had – gifford and Wright playing that spot and gifford's a little more of the body type Wright's not Wright's a bigger dude he's six four and he's he's lanky and, and longer and and we i saw some plays he was making in that open scrimmage that he had oh that yeah great uh interception yeah. he had you just stretched out for it maybe a play that doman wouldn't make but Catch doman can make stroke. some doman can make some other plays the point is you know it's not all about like not every position has to be a six foot four dude we have options. That's the thing right now that's as important as anything to me, is that we're not just limited to, okay, one guy gets hurt, one guy isn't available for a game, and now we're just out. We have a lot of bodies out there. Yeah. This is the benefit of having 150-plus guys on the team to begin with. That's something that I don't think Frost had two or three years ago.
0: Well, Chenander even said it in one of his, his post-practice press conferences, saying, you know, we have the right guys on the bus. He said that you know mm-hmm. we have the right guys on the bus. It's a matter of of putting them in the right position, the right the right lineups to to absolutely maximize and and the ability to you know situationally place those guys in there. You know that that could pay huge dividends going forward. <clears throat> and not to mention that some of those guys can do so many things. Jojo, he can be in coverage. He can be a rush end. You know he's good on run support. Like that that's a that's a three tool guy right there. And, yes, he's he's kind of a hybrid tweener size, but he's proven to be a playmaker in that position. And then you back that guy up with someone like Javon Wright, who's, what, like you said, 6'3", 6'4", a monster hitter with huge athleticism. I mean, I don't know how you don't get excited about that going forward. I know I do. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: Dave, I think one question that we have was about takeaways. And this came from Kel the Coach on Twitter. And he said that the the D was solid in 2020, but we still struggled with overall takeaways, Uh, five interceptions and two fumble recoveries. So over eight games, that's seven turnovers that we had. Can we truly see a jump forward if that number stays the same? And he had to make the comparison to the evil team to the East, but he goes compared to Iowa, who had 14 uh, interceptions and four fumble recoveries, respectively, 18 total in your minds. What's the magic takeaway number for the D in 2021?
2: Hey, Honk, just really quick uh, before we actually answer the question, I just like from a relative standpoint, you know, that IO number sounds really big, 18 and probably eight games, I suppose. But um, at the peak of, of Bo year, like even in his 2003 year, didn't he have some really crazy numbers where we had just like, I don't know, dozens of of Interceptions Mac, Does that sound familiar? Bullocks had a huge. Yeah, injury. Josh Bullocks.
0: What was it? Was it fourteen? He that had can't, double. That can't be right, can it?
1: Well, he had double-digit interceptions by himself. Yeah. in 03. And to your point, Dave, I mean that's how quick difference. Yeah, it could was happen. one year. You know, back to Kel, the coach's question: If we're going to be a great defense, let's go back to the word "great," <laughs> not average. <laughs> right. A great defense is going to produce. Turnovers like that. I I don't know if Iowa had a great defense last year or not, but Iowa produced 18 turnovers in eight games. We produced seven. So they produced more than twice as many. Boomer, what is that magical takeaway number for the D in 2021?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, First off, 2003, Dave, yeah, they averaged uh, 3.6 takeaways on defense. Wow, that wow. Season. Uh, so that's, that's pretty solid. Wow, that's a, that's a good. quality number. That's like right almost
2: there. 40, 40 turnovers. We had that. Year. Yeah. That's
3: a lot. So that, that's God. really good. Um, yeah. The whole turnover question, you know, that's, that's a two part thing. Uh, part of it is, you know, how many turnovers your defense can generate. And it's also, you know, let's make sure our offense doesn't turn the ball over five times versus Rutgers and Illinois and whoever the heck else we play, you know, because even if you're generating the right amount of turnovers on defense, if you're coughing it up, you know, right back to the other team that's not doing you any good. Just kind of taking a look at the last couple of seasons, you know, last three seasons or so, I'd probably say the magic number of what you want to see from defensive takeaways is averaging over about one and a half a game. Uh, The closer you can get to two, the better. But um, that seems to be the key. Um, Wisconsin, for the last three seasons, has always been over one and a half a game. Iowa has been over one and a half, sometimes over two a game. Mm -hmm. Like last year. Yeah, Minnesota, you know, kind of another team in that we'd compare ourselves to there in that kind of mid to low range, you know, one and a half to one, you know, takeaways a game. And if you combine that with, uh, you know, the turnover margin, you know, that makes a huge difference. You know, I was always on the positive side of it. Wisconsin and Minnesota are generally right about average on it, and we're not so good. Like last year, the you know, the turnover margin was, uh, you know, minus 1.5. That's not going to win you a lot of games. You know, you're you're putting yourself in a big hole with that. So are we going to say we're just going to purely rely on defensive takeaways to get that up to that positive plus one or two? That's asking a whole lot of defensive takeaways. You're going to need, you know, those polini esque huge jump seasons. But I think if you can average about one and a half, you know, defensive takeaways a game and cut down on those offensive turnovers, if you're in that, you know, plus one and a half to two range for your total turnover margin, I think that's what you want. And so, that should be achievable. I mean, we've done it before. We've averaged about 1.5 to 1.8 you know, in 2018 and 2019 on defense for takeaways. So it can be done. So if we can do that and cut down on the offensive turnovers, that's what you want to see.
2: I do think the, the key here is turnover margin,
3: mm-hmm.
0: right?
2: And so I, I guess I'd, I'd maybe reverse engineer this a little bit. And, and think, what do we think would be an acceptable number of turnovers on the offensive side of the ball? And then, you know, I would say then we want to double that on the defensive side of the ball. So we're, we're you know, if we could finish plus 12 on the ter- turnover, you know, um, battle on the season, that'd be plus one per game. game. That'd yeah. be pretty good, right? So you're going to have some turnovers occasionally on the offense. It does happen. Would, would you accept 12 turnovers here on the offensive side of the ball.
1: What you can have, this goes back to the average sometimes and and below average other times. What we can have is, you know, three games in a row where we have zero turnovers, which is awesome, right? I mean, that's perfect. Zero turnovers. And then you have five or whatever we had against Illinois. And then you have five or whatever we had against Rutgers. Two years ago when Mac and I went to Champaign – and we have 700 plus yards against Illinois, and, and we just blow them out of the water in all the statistical categories, but because of turnovers and penalties and everything else, we end up barely winning the game, even though we you know I think we outyard them by 400 yards. Well, what does that sound like? That sounds like the Rutgers game last year. And you can't have that kind of stuff. And as Boomer was talking about all those stats about you know turnovers, mm-hmm. what was going through my head was the conversation we had earlier which is what's average, you know, is we don't want to be average. What's great. Great kind of sounds a little bit defensively like what Pliny did in 2003, you know, to get that many turnovers. That's how you made a huge difference right away from one year to the next. That's a hundred percent true
2: defense. still. I mean, we still went nine and three that year and, and lost to Kansas state by a substantial margin. So,
3: yeah. And, and some of it's going to be, when do we generate these turnovers? Cause if we, you know, pad the stats and, you know, pick the ball off eight times against Fordham, great. That's going to, you know, pad your numbers a lot, but is that going to do you any good long-term if you're minus 0.5 or 1 for the rest of the season? No. So you really want to see these turnovers kind of in the meteor schedule, particularly in the Big Ten end of it.
0: You know, the, the thing about turnovers, too, or interceptions, any of that stuff, it's, it's so infectious because I was looking at that just quickly over the 2003. Josh Bullock had 10 interceptions, <clears throat> but we had like 22 interceptions overall as a team. That's a, that's a really good number. And a lot of guys, there's two guys with four, one guy with three, four, five guys with two, and three guys with one. I mean, that's a that's a big number. You know, like that kind of stuff catches fire over time. People want to mock or scoff at that, uh, that Fordham game and it's like, well, it doesn't do anything, blah, 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 you know. I disagree. Momentum's a big thing. Getting guys out there and playing is a big thing. And a home game is always a big thing. And if it could be a night game where we get recruits in there, even better. So – we need to get some momentum rolling in the turnover category. It, that could be a huge dividend going forward. I mean, what would the, what would the seasons look like if we were average? You know, like, I have to believe it, it equates to at least four more wins total in three years.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like the scientific approach there. Man. Yeah, I, I'm, right? I'm thinking you're right. 3.8 yeah, right. wins. That's what it would 3.
0: result 3.8 more wins or <laughs> three to five more Vodka. It's science. <laughs> It's science.
2: All right, let's talk about those linebackers, guys. Uh, obviously, uh, losing the Honus is, is a hit, at least from a depth perspective and, and leadership. I'm sure he's going to be around the team. And boy, we'd love to see if he could actually come back. Um, but uh, who else are you looking there? Uh, let's start with the inside linebackers, Honky, and and talk about uh, Luke Reimers and Cole Kolrevich and uh, Heinrich, etc.
1: Yeah, I'm, I think you mentioned the three there. And I would say Malga Clements. You know, just a say four. Va. I'll just say Va. <laughs> I thought he really performed well he actually did. in the spring game. And you know, Reimers, we got to see quite a bit of him last year. We need a healthy Rhymers. and he brings a little bit different style. Like I would say, you you said this a couple weeks ago, Mac, where you thought that maybe Coloravich is kind of a honus point. You know, 2. he's two point yeah. And Reimer, I would not say is Reimers. No, you know, he's a I would agree. smaller, sleeker, faster style of inside linebacker. Yep. Right. And then you throw Heinrich on there, and Heinrich's a different style. He's a taller dude, and we've kind of even said he could move out to outside in some cases. I think he could. But what we're looking at is inside depth. I mean, we're we're naming three, four guys there. Mm -hmm. I think Randolph Kapai, who this is a little early to throw him into this. I mean, he's a true freshman from uh, Sioux Falls who's on campus right now. He went through the spring ball and everything. I think he performed well. He played fine. He played fine. I don't know that I'm ready to throw him out there and say, well, I'm ready to throw him out there as fifth or sixth. Well, it, but, it, but that's the point. That is that, the point. That, that, that the point is he's
0: fifth or sixth, even with an injury. And even performing on a spring game and actually making some tackles and making some plays. Correct. He's still in that – yeah, even, that didn't elevate his position.
1: Yeah, even an injury in front of him, we're talking about him fifth or sixth. Exactly. That's a if you want to find progress, that's progress right there.
0: Yeah. And and I like I like Va a lot. You know, that when uh, when Va and Jackson Hanna were the inside linebackers, mm-hmm. you know, just watching those two communicate, watching those two move, particularly like on a passing like when they drop back into the zone, both of them look comfortable in coverage and both of them looked really comfortable coming up and smacking dudes like that was Mm. the thing i liked a lot was the physicality positioning themselves to make those hits and then following through nobody looked out of nobody looked out of place making contact or or you know when it finally came and we moved off a two-hand touch thud when it came time to light some dudes up those guys were ready to play and and someone that we forgot to mention here is Snodgrass. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's that's
1: if there's a guy that can definitely be in the top four, and we just we kind of gl- glance over, we him did, we him, um, and, I, and then for no reason either, he, he could play. Yeah, that dude can play, and that dude could be in that top four. Uh, ideally, if we're talking about that position, if we want to transition to the outside spot, I want to move Heinrich in a perfect world. I want to take him out of that inside spot and move him to outside. That's really where I okay. that's where I want to see Heinrich okay in a perfect Where Heinrich is a Heinrich or Heinrich. I, I mean, say Heinrich Henrik, I think you're right. I think it's Henrik. In a perfect world, I want to move him out of the inside. I want to move him to the outside. I just think he, from body type, you know, he's a longer dude, six foot four. I think he's a pass rusher. I think he's a lot of things that we want to see out of an outside linebacker. I'd like to see him move out. And we just talked about four or five other dudes that are yeah. playing inside. So it's not like it's impossible to say he still can, even with Honus being injured. Again, it's not that we can sustain three or four injuries at the spot, no. but we just – Sustained an injury to a guy that's been playing for two, three years for us there, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's the end of you know the end of the spot for us. I think we're okay. Yeah. I think we still have guys that can that can be playing there, and, and I really hope Honus can come back again just for him. I mean, my hundred, gosh, yeah.
2: absolutely. Maybe you'll uh, run into uh, Nick's parents at some point, Honky, and you can get his
0: uh, last name pronunciation correct.
1: <laughs> Is um, his last name now. the
0: same as Hendricks Harburgs? First name? Oh, I think Heine- that's what throws me up.
1: It's Heinrich Hardberg, but I think it's He's I think it's He's Nick nicknames. And Rick.
0: Hey, open doors. Let's get on some some nicknames for those guys so we can stop butchering and, and, <laughs> and making these parents mad when they point, listen Max. to our show. <laughs> Hashtag
1: redcast butcher. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um and so uh, outside linebackers, we already talked about them a little bit there, huh? mm-hmm. but I mean anything in particular flash uh, during the spring game.
1: Well, you know the the first guy, and we mentioned him a little earlier. He didn't play this spring, Doman. Yeah, I mean that's you're building it kind of around him, right? And then you have what I consider the, you know the old steady guy now, uh, Garrett Nelson. I, I love everything about him. Third year, dude, and with COVID, heck, he's probably still listed as a freshman or sophomore. I don't <laughs> even know that. I don't even know what year he is at this point. But the, mm-hmm. he, it feels like he's been here yeah. for. For a number of years he was recruited by Riley if that gives any idea yeah. how old the the guy is but I love everything about Nelson I think he's such a solid technical player at the position mm-hmm. and I think he is somebody that he's obviously going to play a major role in he, he's
0: one of those guys that will make you look bad if you're not bringing maximum effort every day in mm-hmm. practice you know because he will he'll bring it Hundred percent, all the time. That will Im- that improves the room. It always does.
1: Mm-hmm. So you know, Dome, and you have Nelson, and then uh, how about uh, Caleb Tanner, Mac?
0: I do appreciate the fact that he's been here this entire time. In the in this age of of quick transfers, he stuck it out. So I hope the absolute best for him. But another guy that I really like, and we didn't get to see him in the spring, but we heard about him during the spring, was Phil Billiards Payne. Somebody mentioned it might have been Frost. It, or it might have been actually. I think it was chunander talking about when he came on. He was a little bit hurt when he first got here. He got the spring pulled out from underneath him, and he didn't have a fall camp. But he still got out there and played. And you know, he had significant play time. Maybe not a ton of plays, but he w- he was in there a lot. You give this guy now an off season, a spring ball, a fall camp, and all the the strength and conditioning. I really think you know a, a team that's that's dying for like an individual pass rusher he could fill that mold it does seem like he's but that potential to actually be
2: that pass rusher that we've been looking for and you know he's got a really great motor it seems like obviously he needs to be out there a lot more but you know i mean his family's very active on twitter it seems like and he's yeah. like they're very supportive of him it's really cool to see that they come out and mm-hmm. and have watched games even last year so it'd be great uh, great story
1: and I think two other guys, and we mentioned one of them already as that nickelback guy, but Javen Wright is a guy that can be a player at that outside linebacker position. And if we're looking for pass rusher, speed rusher kind of guy, he can certainly fit that mold and blaze Gunnerson. Oh, yeah. Gunnerson's the guy that if somebody really showed well, I think in the spring ball, Gunnerson is the guy and he brings all the size. I mean, he is. You know, all 6'6", like 245, 250, you know, an Iowa kid. Just saw some photos of him on Twitter. He went back to his high school here this last week and was doing some work with some of the kids there and just, you know, going back and seeing his own mother. We have a lot of bodies there. We have a lot of talent. It's Some of it's youth, but, I mean, these guys, they've been through the program now for a year or two, a lot of them. I look at the outside linebacker room and I don't see any reason why we can't have depth. And I, I don't see any reason why we can't have a uh, multiple guys come out of that as pass rushers. We have
0: some dudes there. And what does a good individual pass rusher do to an average or even good defense? I mean, it, that's what takes it to that next level. I mean, you put a Randy Gregory on this defense. What kind of defense do we have? You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not predicting that for blaze Gunnerson or, or, Fidel, yeah. or Phil Darius Payne. But my point is, we don't totally know what we have with either of those two guys. We don't. Sure. I mean, as fans, maybe the coaching staff think they know, but we don't as fans. We have no idea exactly what those two players could be. But I keep hearing that there's for certain not a single pass rusher on this team, you know, from the media sure. and from fans. Yeah. For sure, the fans know we don't have a pass rusher. But let's just say we do one of them. It turns out to be decent four five, six sacks. I'm like, what what kind of difference that makes? For for already a salty group of veterans, and now you have a pass rush with a salty secondary back there, I mean, that's how you kick that turnover number from, you know, one point or whatever we average Boomer to that 1.5 that you said is kind of that magic number to make a difference. It, it, it could be as simple as that, and I don't think we're without talent in those positions. Yeah, and the one, the one player that we
1: haven't mentioned yet that I think could be a, a player inside or outside right now. Jackson hanna oh yeah. and that's the guy I mean he I saw him at that open scrimmage where he was doing some some pass rush drills against uh, running backs and he was very aggressive I
0: think we saw some things out of him
1: in the spring game mac you had talked about there was a couple
0: times Adrian broke free Jackson Hanna was in position to to take him out if it was not thud
1: <laughs> big dude I mean six foot four guy we've got some speed out of him. And I don't know
0: where he fits in yet. I don't know if he's inside or outside. It was just cool to see him out there too, because you know he's when he was recruited, he was a four-star guy, sure. and he was kind of a late get and sort of a surprise. I, remember I was really excited about him, and just like how it is these days, if a, if a freshman doesn't produce within the first ten minutes of getting on campus, then he's kind of a kind of a bust. And he kind of just disappeared in the background. But man, he didn't look out of place out there. He didn't look confused out there. He he him and Vaugh communicated very well when they were playing together that was again the most encouraging thing was nobody looked confused anymore on our team that's what i liked the most i was like i've watched that well even offensively i thought the our backup quarterbacks all looked like they knew what they were doing sure
2: all right next position up uh defensive line and uh there's another position group that's deep uh, with uh, experience and a lot of young guys got to be excited there. Right. Humkey?
1: I mean, my goodness, uh, Redcast, Rob and I, we talked about last week, uh, we met with uh, Nash Hutmakers, you know, parents at the you know, embassy suites after the game and great people. And Nash is a huge dude, big body guy. Thank God we got him 500 mile radius dude from, from South Dakota. As I was talking to his mom, she said, oh, yeah, you know, he he had Iowa and Wisconsin, Oregon also. You know, they did trips to all those places. But more than likely, they would have gone to Iowa or Wisconsin if they didn't come here. But they came here. And as awesome as that is, and that dude played great in the spring game. And yet he's probably still a pretty clear at least second, if not third, at that nose tackle spot behind Damian Daniels and behind even Jordan Riley. And it's probably a good thing that we built up that kind of depth right now in that D-line. Mm-hmm. You still have Casey Rogers, and you oh still gosh, have Tyrone Robinson that are, you know, young guys. Ty Robinson they are younger. <laughs> I like Tyrone. Ty, Ty, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ty Robinson. And then you have Ben Stilley who didn't even, you know, again, one of the Super 6 guys, right? I mean, there's depth across that D-line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I still think Ma- Messiah Newsom Oh, yeah. He you looked know, a lot bigger. <sighs> We could go six, seven, eight deep. The expectations of that group, and this is the interesting thing: is like were they average last year? Were they above average? Were they you know whatever? I think they played above average compared to what people thought a year mm-hmm. ago. A year ago, they were replacing a bunch of guys that went pro. You know, the Davis twins and and, and uh, the older Daniels. And I think everyone looked at them and said they played above average compared to what our expectation was, and they did. They need to be that good and better this year.
0: I saw a confusing stat on Twitter about some percentage of points per play allowed by a defensive lineman returning, and I don't know what it meant. But Casey (laughs) Rogers was number one, and I think that was good.
1: It sounded like
0: there, Mac. Yeah. Did you see? (laughs) I'm not going to crunch that right now. But did you see that Boomer? He was like, it was like point. Four nine percent of points per play allowed on a run play of returning guys. Casey Rogers was number one, and and one of our guys was number four. And I can't for the life of me think of who. Well, no, it was it was it was Daniels. It was Daniels. So we have. It all adds other, up. It all adds up. It all adds up. And and you know, speaking of that, Daniels. What a what a great story that guy is. A guy that we couldn't get on the field enough. You know, he he was just. Two. You already said he burned gas fast. You know, but. <sighs> But that's a guy who, Dave, he's going to be a problem. I said Daniels has never looked bigger.
1: Like, he's giga- He's a huge human being. And then they said he's lost 30 pounds.
2: That's amazing. I don't even know how that works. I don't know how yeah. that math shakes out either.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've never looked bigger. And, uh, <laughs> and you've lost 30 pounds, congratulations. <laughs> no, no, I haven't lost 30 pounds. Mac, I,
2: you. I think your, your stat there with Casey Rogers, I'm intrigued on what that is, but it's probably similar to like a um, – a, a war stat in baseball, WAR wins against replacement type thing, where like right. when Casey Rogers is on the field, you know, less points are scored or something like that, right? Yeah, it's something,
0: um, man. I wish I could find it.
2: Yeah, they, they can come up with a stat for everything, but they really I mean, can. I think it's, it's really intriguing. Like, I mean, like how big these guys have gotten the depth. And it, it kind of makes me ask maybe a, a bookend question to this defensive conversation, guys, is like, it feels like, we are, are better at, and deeper at all three levels of the defense going into this year. You, it's just hard not to be optimistic about, about how this defense could perform. Do you feel like the only missing piece is like that actual proven pass rusher? Is there something else that's missing
1: that, beyond that? If you knew you had that one, you know, Gregory kind of outside mm-hmm. linebacker, if you knew you had that one guy that was returning that had eight sacks, You'd be sitting there saying this defense is totally different. And right now we're just we're projecting on that one spot, that one true sack guy. And because we're in a three-four versus the four three that we mm-hmm. were back when we actually had Gregory, um, that true rush guy could be could come from a D end or it could come from an outside linebacker. It could be Sia Newsom as a D end. It yeah. could be, you know, any of the other guys, you know, Blaze Could be Caleb Tanner finally blowing up. I think that Doman's gonna have a great senior year. I really think Doman's kind of fitting into that, that hybrid role. And I like the fact that they're really establishing what that role is. Mm -hmm. They're building a role that is a guy that's an outside linebacker rush guy, but he also is going to play a little bit of nickel stuff. Mm -hmm. And then behind him, now you have Gifford and you have Wright. I just think that they're developing a role that I don't know they really had three years ago when Shenander and the defense first got here.
0: It's that's, that's kind of the one holdover, I think from central Florida, that Griffin type role on yeah. defense. Cause that guy was, was a kind of a special Swiss army knife of, he was a blitzer. He was good in coverage. He was good on run support, but he wasn't, mm-hmm. he wasn't your prototypical anything, yep. you know? And that seems to really work well for this. Doman is clearly that right now for us. Yep. And, and if you could move that into a Javon, right. Then that's who knows how that guy could produce or that position could produce with a pass rush. But Dave, I think you're, you know, if this is an average to good defense, It would only take that one special guy, just one. It really would only take that one guy to make us elite. As a defense, if we had a seven to eight sack guy, that would really make a difference.
2: Yeah, well, we'll we'll see. Hopefully that emerges and uh, maybe we have a a really great defense next
1: year. Well, Dave, we've run out of time again when it comes to special (laughs) teams.
2: Oh, we were going to start with special teams. I forgot. Dang it. (laughs)
0: What's up with that? <laughs> What's up with that? Join us next
2: week in Boomer. Part three of the spring game breakdown. Boomer breaks down. That be the 2021 the spring hour. game. That team, yeah. Next week's all special team game. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Boomer. Tell us about Mike Stiggy punning, and, you know. Let's do a let's Byron do a Husker Bennett.
0: history podcast next week, Boomer. This is just going to be featuring you.
1: Just special. Give us a history of special teams next week.
0: All right. We'll, we'll start back in the old days. Yeah, yeah No worries. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: For May, June, and July, Boomer, cover a special teams. <laughs> From 1892 on. Damn. Um, all right, guys. Well, let's get out of here with some parting shots. Honky, take it away.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to this week, and I don't have a, a bunch of uh, parting shots like I normally do. Uh, it's my birthday on Friday. Uh, my wife and Alex, we're going to go down to Kansas City to the Great Wolf Lodge. Uh, we're not going to think about Husker sports other than baseball. I want to hear you know how we do this week, and hopefully – we play right dave are we playing northwestern or is there going to be a COVID? we sure hope
2: so uh there is a COVID issue with in the uh northwestern program they've missed the last two weeks actually okay. um so we have not uh, confirmed uh that we are playing this weekend but the hope is we play the wildcats in lincoln and um we, we need to Probably we'd like to sweep those guys at this point to keep at pace. Indiana plays Michigan this weekend, so it's really interesting. It's an opportunity here if we could sweep Northwestern. And let's mm-hmm. say Michigan actually takes two of three from Indiana. Uh, we'd be back in first place with two weeks to go. So
1: You guys said that we are number two or we're two seed in D1's latest projections. Correct. Correct. Yes. When do they make their actual decisions on hosting regionals? So they've
2: modified that a little bit and maybe boomer has more details but my understanding um is that they're going to announce 20 potential sites later this week maybe on thursday or friday um and then delay the final decision on the 16 sites um about two weeks after that so closer to when they normally would make a decision so um the hope would be that Nebraska still makes that cut of 20. It gives them the flexibility that somehow Mm -hmm. Nebraska does still win the big 10. There's a, you know, slight chance of a one seed. We may have lost it with that Rutgers sweep that it might be over uh, and done with, but if they're looking for diversity, especially from a geography standpoint um, and conference standpoint, we still might have an outside shot. And if we could just get into that first 20, um, we still have a, a, a slight chance of getting a regional in Lincoln. Yeah, Dave has
3: it right. They've kind of they've hedged their bets to give themselves a little leeway depending on how the the season finishes for everybody, um, so they can kind of adjust regionals as need be. But uh, yeah, Nebraska needs to finish strong. You need that sweep against Northwestern, and you know put away Indiana, and Michigan, and. You know, again, let's just hope Iowa and some of the other teams kind of kind of slide back and uh, have a good chance. Plus, I, I you really don't want to be in that Arkansas regional either. You want to kind of improve no. your, your standing there, so you don't want to. Yeah, they're I think probably the number one team at the moment, so you want to get out of that.
2: Uh, so let's uh, go to Boomer.
3: Well, I just kind of want to give one more shout-out and uh, congratulations to uh, Barry Alvarez on his new gig. Uh, hopefully it's not too much stress for you being, uh, you know, working at the Big Ten now. Uh, take some weight in the retirement off your shoulders, finding that extra income. And uh, I just want to uh, just kind of mention if the Big Ten needs a new uh, podcast liaison uh, for the conference, uh, you can certainly reach out to me on our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram feeds. Uh, my rates are reasonable, so uh, Big Ten, just uh, send it our way. <laughs> nice.
0: All right, Mac. Well, I just wanted to share with uh, with you guys an email I got from uh, another Columbus SCOTUS alumni, Kyle Diedrich. I was talking, emailing him back and forth about a few different things, but they hit me with this. Uh, <laughs> he goes, they have one knock about the Redcast. Quit giving me hope. Year in and year out, each preseason, I come to terms with we're the Nebraska of today rather than Nebraska of the 90s. Twenty minutes into each episode, I'm convinced we're gonna, we're national championship contenders. He did say his soul ends up dying each year, but uh, at the for the most part, I feel like we're doing our job. Then, you know, <laughs> yeah. But Mac, he also did say he's just a
1: casual Nebraska fan, and he goes that you guys have really grown on me.
0: Look, I mean, he has a knock. A on his, high compliment. Also,
1: yeah, I mean, he's giving us a compliment, but he's also saying that you know. Well, yeah, I mean, that's giving yeah. me
0: hope. Yeah. <laughs> but Kyle, we can't help ourselves. You know, <laughs> that's that's. I'm just proud or happy, I guess, and ex- excited that that's what we do. We trick people into feeling really good about it, and we try to throw that Husker positivity out there. Eventually, uh, just like Scott Frost, many good decisions in a row, these will pay dividends and we'll have wins, 9 to 10, possibly 12.
2: Uh, there's those <laughs> scarlet-colored glasses that we are known for. All right, guys, great show. Uh, looking forward to uh, Husker Victory this weekend on the Diamond, setting us up for a stretch run in the Big Ten. Uh, for now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Elbow, above average. A Huda Media
1: Production.